Good morning and welcome to a special edition of Society's Superheroes. Luke and I have taken a break for a while, not through our own um, planning, it just life happened and unfortunately we had to deal with a few things, each in our individual capacities, but we are very, very happy to be back. This is a special edition of Society's Superheroes and our topic today is parenting in a pandemic. This is something that Luke has been asked to speak about at schools to parents and to educators time and time again. So we have chosen to chat about it today and we hope that we'll be able to give you some insights into parenting in a pandemic. Thanks, uh, Corin, and it is uh, great to be back because I think these are very, very important uh, conversations that we're having. And I think the big thing about this conversation is it's what I've been asked to do a lot because we were very clear when we went into lockdown how to lockdown. You know, we were all gung-ho the first 21 days there was a sense of kind of this uh, national unity and we were all standing together we closed down our schools we closed down um, access to food for some of our children we closed down protection services for the children in the inner city and what we didn't consider is those children who did have access to education through their screens, faced an additional set of challenges, which is once you end up in that screen for large quantities of time, how do you come out? So right, Luke, a lot of the time before we entered into the first, the initial lockdown, screens were very much um, regulated by parents. Well, some parents, some parents just allowed their children free reign, but it was a case of you're permitted to have screen time from this time to this time. And it, it was pretty much um, also a, a leisure activity for children. And then what happened is we had lockdown and then children were, well, here's your screen and now you will spend the, it, the equivalent of a school day in front of your screen. That's exactly what happened. And I think, you know, if we look at the routines we had, I mean, my wife's a teacher and there was a routine for teaching. You know, you've got a routine for waking up, a routine for your hygiene, a routine to get dressed and move through to where your school is, to come home, etc. And the the screens were part of a routine. And what happened when we went into lockdown is we lost the routine. With the routine, I think that we lost we lost a set of boundaries. And with that loss of boundaries... We started losing touch with our children because they got stuck in the machine as the way that they were not going to miss out on their education, but we didn't consider what they're missing out on in terms of their social and emotional development. I think also you speak about boundaries, Luke, and um, routines. So traditionally, we would get up in the morning, we'd brush teeth and wash faces and um, have breakfast and off we would go to school in the car to a completely different environment. You'd also put on the school uniform or if you were dressing for work, you'd put on your work clothes. We've seen some pretty hysterical um, uh, video screen grabs and things of, of people on um, Zoom or whatever platform they choose. People with no pants, people with um, naked women w walking behind them. So our environments really weren't equipped to deal with living in a Zoom world. Um, you, something else that you've spoken about quite extensively is nuances and social connections. So very often on a screen, those nuances and social connections are really, really missed. There's no doubt. The thing that we're finding a lot is that the 
the development of technology is so exponential that it is developing faster than we can problem solve for it. So we, we are developing technology faster than we can solve for the problems it's creating. And one of the, one of the things that we are trying to solve for, which is how we keep up with children's development in light of the fact that screens have such a massive impact on their development, is that we didn't think about the fact that we wouldn't be able to balance their development in the world due to the pandemic. So where we had other influences, so other reflections of children in the world, for example, children go to school, they dress in a certain way, they comb their hair in a certain way, and they get feedback from their world in, in light of the way they turn up in that world. Whereas when you're online, you can have avatars, you can um, make alter egos, you can put yourself out in the world in ways that are rejected, you then change yourself, and it happens incredibly quickly. There's not a sense that the young people have to, in terms of their identity, sit with the fact that this is the feedback from the world to me, and I have to sit with that. Now you can just turn it off and switch to something else. So it's affecting young people's self-esteem, it's affecting how they feel about themselves, it's affecting their eating patterns, their sleeping patterns, all of which have very big impacts on their development. So when I've chatted to parents, I've said to them that, you know, the sort of like parenting in a pandemic version 4.2.3.0 or whatever level version, eight. level 8, stage in six. Stage 6, <laughs> that we find ourselves in, is a stage of both panic for parents but also for possibility. And I think that the panic you, you mention is very real. And what I'm seeing, the, the panic of parents, is that going back to an initial statement I made is we were very clear how we locked down and put children in front of screens. We didn't think about how we're going to get them off the screens mm -hmm. and out their rooms. And, and I think this is what we're seeing more and more, is that children were then set in front of their screens. But how do we remove them from their screens. They are told you will sit in front of your screen with your teacher and your classmates and what have you for a certain number of hours a day. They obviously have to do homework and things which pre predominantly are on screens as well. How do we get them off those screens? I think uh, the, the questions that I'm asking at the moment, there's two major things happening. The first is the question as to what kind of world have we handed our children that they would rather be in this artificial or echo chamber kind of world of online rather than in the world we gave them. And the second, which has interestingly come as a um, almost like, a, I don't know if it's a byproduct, but it certainly has come in parallel with the massive screen time, is the excessive use of marijuana and the idea that marijuana and CBD can cure everything from cancer to insomnia to whatever, not thinking about the implications of that. So w what we're suggesting is that the, the first thing we need to do to get children off the screens is recognize that the greatest gift that a parent can give their children is the parent's own happiness. And we need to manage our boundaries. We need to be containers to our children because we're also panicking. We're panicking about our livelihoods. We're panicking about our elderly parents, you know, certainly, you know, people of our age, you know, you and I. And 
we in that panic and our children then are saying, well, how do we manage if our parents can't manage? And we need to recognize that, you know, we really are the the mother birds that take in the worm of the world for our children. And even our teenagers who may not like us on a good week, you know, even those teenagers, I mean, we're not running a popularity contest. We are here to take in the worm of the world and to give it back to them in a digestible way. And if our children are to keep alive that kind of inborn sense of wonder without any such gift from the fairies, they need a companion to share that with, and that companion is us. The single greatest protective feature for our children from anything, screen addiction, marijuana addiction, etc., is us as parents. Look, another thing, you know, you touched on earlier that, that, that we are the mother vessel and, and we giving the worm to the children and what have you. As parents, and, and you spoke about it, um, we, we are feeling a lot of things. We are feeling incredibly vulnerable. We are feeling very afraid. Many parents have, have lost their jobs, lost their incomes. The world is upside down. How do we find a balance in showing children that it is okay to be vulnerable, I am vulnerable, I am afraid, and yet maintaining a safe space for children where they know it's going to be okay? Even as parents, if, if we, we don't actually know ourselves if it's going to be okay. How do we find that balance of comfort and security um, and then on the other hand actually being vulnerable and afraid so it's a lot about it's a lot about regulation so when we when we look at children's behavior being out of whack we say they are dysregulated you know us as adults also become dysregulated because of the sheer kind of um, the weight of what we're doing like for example someone like myself who also feels responsible for 250-odd children in the inner city, plus my own children, plus children I see that get referred to me under under the pandemic. You know, there's times when you feel like you are drowning, not waving. But what we need to do as adults is we need to find ways to manage ourselves and regulate ourselves because co-regulation is absolutely essential if children are going to be able to regulate themselves. So us as adults need to find people to talk to. We need to reach out for mental health services. Should we require psychiatric medical services, we need to reach out for those because children find it almost impossible to regulate without a co-regulating adult. Someone like uh, a theorist like Vygotsky would say there's a thing called the zone of proximal development. So children learn from the proximity to a what they call sort of a, a more knowledgeable other or more knowledgeable adult. And they look to us for how you manage. They look to us for the fact that you can be angry, you can be afraid, you can be sad, you can be mourning, but that those are not catastrophic events. They are events, they are events that come with cycles like grief, uh, with things like the Kubler-Ross denial, anger bargaining, a bit of depression, then the acceptance of the death. And the acceptance of the death, which is we're dealing with a lot at the moment, doesn't mean that we forget people. In fact, the act of grieving is, is in how we remember people. So it's really about the fact that we can regulate ourselves and we can contain ourselves and that assists children to co-regulate. And what we're seeing is that parents, because they are struggling, are, and I mean they've said this to me in these words, they give up. So they give up because their children are fighting too hard. This is mainly boy children. The boy children are fighting too hard with them to stay online. They break windows or they 
they cause chaos. And the, the level of trauma that causes the parents, it's easier to just give in and let them do what they want rather than to do the difficult task of parenting. However, that dysregulates the parents because the parents then feel that they can't manage. The child then has no co-regulator and it just then escalates. And then by that stage, you need external help from someone like myself and my psychiatry colleagues. But to pull someone back from that is very difficult. We must not allow them to enter that to begin with. And the, the way we're suggesting that happens is we go back to basics. In your home, like we do at the gym, children need to eat properly. They need a routine. They need firm boundaries. They need to get outside into the sun. They need to get their heart rates up at least 20 minutes, um, 20 minutes a day, four days a week. They need to be able to access people such as family, you, friends, etc. But they need to do that in a way that is is thoughtful, a way that is intentional, not just randomly take photos and post things online and wait for likes. And they, they, they need to think about what they're putting online and about what that feedback means to them. So the, the connection, which I'm using connection with an X, to say that this connection online is connection. I'm not denying it's connection. But we need to be intentional about that connection and who we're connecting with and why we're connecting and what message we're sending. And particularly for adolescents who are developing their identity, what that means in terms of feedback. And then finally, we need to find places where us and our children can have fun, places where we can just play. We have to remember that the vocation and the language of childhood is play. So basically taking the routines that our children used to have at schools, um, at the moment it's up and down. So this week they're at school, then they're not at school, then school's closed down, then, you know, it's, 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 it's all really, really a roller coaster. And having routines in our home environments. So setting time aside to so saying, right, in the morning, you have to be ready for school at eight o'clock. You're not going to get out of bed at 10 to eight and sit in front of your computer. By eight o'clock, you need to have got up, got dressed, have your breakfast, brush your teeth. There's a break at 10 o'clock. You are then going to actually go outside. You're going to go outside and you're going to kick a ball or not kick your brother, but, you know, do something outside and, and, and instill that kind of thing within a day, routine within a day. Is that, is that sort of Ab the ideal? Absolutely. And, and the interesting thing is that when I went into the schools because I would do talks coming out of the pandemic and people were really all over the place. I got called into all these schools struggling with the social interaction when people came back to school. And 90% of the thousands of children I spoke to in between these, these two lockdowns said they wanted to be back at school. And the reason they wanted to be back at school was the connection. It was the routine. It was the sense of needing to go somewhere. It was the the being able to be motivated by external factors like the teacher in the classroom. So children were actually crying out for it. And the children who didn't want that ended up being quite psychiatrically unwell. And a lot of those children needed admissions to psychiatric facilities for which there are now no beds. And some of them, like one of the big ones in Joburg, has actually closed because there was a COVID scare. Now there are no beds. So the truth is we have to manage it in the home. And children feel safe when we give them boundaries. For example, um, the school where my, where my wife teaches and what my wife does. You will get up 
you will she'll say to the parents the children must get up as if they come into school they will have a routine and maybe you move them out of their bedroom and you put them in a place like a dining room or a study because they've now moved out of their bedroom which is the place where they sleep and play and mess and all of that kind of thing and you put them and they must be in their school uniform they must have got dressed they must have done their hair they must have got up and they must have had that, that sense of occasion when break happens you go out like you would have at break you go out you get a bit of vitamin D, you maybe have an, an orange, you have, your, you have your lunch and you say, you don't just like switch from the fact that you're online to now going to play like Fortnite or, you know, going, on, going online just to randomly play online and then just move back into the classroom. Your mind needs that break from the screen. You need to get into the sun, you need to move. I mean, there's one of the quotes I've used with the parents. If you, if you expect your children to move mountains, you've got to get them out their chairs first. For sure, for sure. Luke. Sorry, and then one last thing is night time. They need to work backwards from the amount of time their children need to sleep. So depending on the child's age, anywhere between 8 and 10 hours, they need sleep. They need to work backwards. And from the time they're supposed to be asleep, their devices must be off and not in their room as, as an alarm clock. They must be in a central charging station. And very importantly, if children want an alarm clock, buy them one of those nice little black ones with the little red LEDs that are made for people to sleep, not the bright, bright white screens. Because if children are not in routine and they wake up at night and they're putting their phone on, that blue light of the screen actually changes, it switches off melatonin, which is what puts us to sleep, and it imitates daylight. And when children don't sleep, they, they can't cement learning. And the other thing that happens is your brain can't purge itself of the toxins and the rubbish of the day. I mean, we sleep to clean our brains and we sleep to improve our memory. Exercise also improves memory. If we haven't slept, our mood is bad. If we don't exercise, our mood is low. So it, it's a whole system. It's not a thing. So it's not something we do with children in a pandemic. It's everything. So if we had to go back to conversations that we've had, Joni Petty was here for World Sleep Day, and I um, really advise people to go back and listen to that podcast because she speaks specifically to waking up in the middle of the night, looking at your phone to see what time it is, but then you get distracted and you need to see what's happening on Facebook or Instagram, and, and, and that is disastrous. It really, really interrupts your sleep. She spoke about that extensively. She spoke about the light extensively, and she spoke about phones being in the dining room at night so that you know that at 2 o'clock in the morning your child isn't on Fortnite. Something else, and, and once again, a previous guest that we actually had last year for World Health Day, Dr. Rennell from Tara. And in as much as, as we're speaking at the moment to, to resource children who are able in a home environment to move from their bedrooms to the dining room or the study, what about our children, Luke, who, who firstly really, really battle with data, which is, is causing a massive, massive um, problem with learning, and also live in, in very, very small environments, and perhaps there are many people in that environment that they then lock down with. How do those children cope? It's a different set of problems, interestingly. So the, the problem with that group of children is not that they are being unsupervised online. It's that they are being unsupervised in the environment. So if we look at the lockdown now, so this current lockdown, so in terms of the, the date we're now in lockdown level 4.2 and we're somewhere at the beginning of July. And the difficulty for our inner city children is that when you close a school, you don't just remove education, 
you remove protection from the adults in that world. So we close the school, we close the gym, but now we haven't closed the economy. Now, if you've got parents who are going to work because they have to work, often our parents are shift workers, they out at work, these children aren't at school, they don't have access to, to our gym, which means they often don't have access to food in the afternoons, plus they don't have access to a protective adult if, or an enabling adult who is uh, able to assist them to gain their agency to get their rights. What happens is those children are left pretty much to their own devices. And, you know, children who are left to their own devices in a pandemic is just another sort of unsafe thing. But I want the resource families to hear that being alone on the streets in Hillbrow is probably less dangerous than being alone and unsupervised online. Sure. And I think that's a very important point to make. Um, that parents think, well, because um, we, we're in this beautiful home and there's a nanny who's maybe making them breakfast and lunch and what have you, at the end of the day, that child is unsupervised online. Just in closing, Luke, um, and we, we're nearly out of time, and I know this is a topic that we could talk about, um, uh, you know, quite extensively, well, on and on and on, because there is just no end to it. In terms of online communities, so a lot of parents will say, well, my child can't see their friend, however, they can be with them online playing and I don't even know the games because um you know um, my, my children aren't gamers and I, I thank the Pope for that but um there is an online community how can we sort of articulate that that doesn't replace the the actual person in your space you know it's it, it's a brilliant question and the children have told me that so I think if we're going to articulate it ask your children because the truth is, is that the children who have gone back to school and coped, in all the schools I've been to, those are government schools, Elson schools, remedial schools, very fancy private schools, 90% of them said we wanted to be back. Even if we're on our phones in the playground, we want to be able to engage our friends. And they told me that. And another interesting thing in the school that, uh, that I spoke to in the South of Joburg, also a private school, because I, I, I had a very specific talk they wanted me to do to them, and I said to them, I said to the, the young people, you know, I'm going to talk to your parents um, in the following week and I'm going to ask your parents how much time your parents spend online. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> my, my parents are online more than I'm online and whatever. And, it, you know, it's true because it's a novelty for us who are, you know, digital immigrants as opposed to digital natives, you know, like our young people are. But I said to them, I said, but I have a different question for you. wonder when you a parent, will you be happy with the amount of time that your child spends online if it's the same as what you currently spend online? And they said no. Almost 90% of them said no. They know something is missing in the human interaction. And they are the ones who are going to change this because they know, because they're digital natives. So we mustn't panic. What we must do is we must think and we must help young people be intentional online. And again, much like the, the regulation, we have to regulate ourselves on our phones because the truth is that if we don't show regulation, our children can't regulate themselves. And every time your phone goes and beeps and something, there is nothing more important on your phone than your child and you and talking to your child. There is, it's not possible. You can be CEO of the world, okay? Somebody else can do your job. You are dispensable. We're all dispensable. The only place you're not dispensable is in raising your child. And the only, the only thing you cannot sub out on and um, outsource and whatever is being a parent. And it is singly the most important job you'll do. P 
parenting is not a distraction from work. It is the most important work. So there's no such thing as a perfect parent, but there are a million ways to be a good one. And I think just to all parents out there who are doing the very best that you can do, keep going. Um, it's, it's tough times. It's tough times for all of us. And there is help out there. So listen to podcasts, read articles. And, and if you really need a hand, reach out because there are a lot of other people feeling very much the same as you. And just in closing from, from me, you know, uh, to quote Billy Joel, you know, um, I've learned that surviving is a noble fight, you know. And the truth is that if anyone asks you what you learned through this process, the panic is that our children might get absorbed. The possibility is we might have more time with our children and, and spend more time with that. And we need to balance the panic with possibility. And if we are asked what skill we learned, well, we learned that we can survive a pandemic that only happens every 100 years. That's enough. Take care. We invite you to subscribe and never miss a conversation.